Hello and welcome to something very special, something very new to me. I'm here with Colin Moriarty. Uh, I was recently on his Sacred Symbols podcast about my marketing internship, and he has since had the kindness to allow me to interview him about building the business that is Last Stand Media. So I'm super excited, very grateful. Uh, my name's Jeremiah Potter, if you all don't know. That's about all I want to talk about me. I want to move on to Colin. So how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm sure uh, I think most of the audience, the people listening to this will be your audience, so they'll be be more familiar with you than anything. But I want to kind of use this uh, business uh, style interview to kind of get into an aspect where I've heard plenty of interviews um, with you from from other uh, other creators and not as many of them haven't really gotten into this aspect of what you do. Um, I know you mentioned the reason I asked to do this is because you mentioned on an episode of Sacred Symbols that no one had ever uh, really seriously talked to you about how you built Last Stand to be what it is. Yeah, um, I've always found that weird. So, I mean, I was just, it was not that I necessarily needed to talk about it. I was just, uh, I always found that strange. You would think it would be a really big story or something that people would be interested in replicating, but I think it annoys them so much that they don't want to even know how it, how it was done. So that's totally fine. It's a, it's a strategic advantage for me. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll, we'll fix that now. I was always super interested in it. Um, I really like the business aspect of these things. So seeing kind of what you did uh, and are doing. Uh, was really cool. And I, I had searched around for something like that, never really found it. But so to start off, I want to kind of use this to, in addition to the people who are familiar with you, um, a, a big reason that, that I started my journey in the games industry is because I, I want to kind of connect or be serve as some kind of connection between the suits and the, the creatives and the, the people who are making things. I think there can be a disconnect there sometimes. So for, for uh, people who are unfamiliar with you, Let's just uh, talk about who you are, what you've done. You have a very extensive portfolio. So I have here, you started off as a GameFAQs writer and moved on to working at IGN for 12 years as a yes. freelancer, intern, associate editor, editor, and senior editor. That's right. Yeah. Um, then you moved on to Kinda Funny as a co-founder and host for a couple of years and have since founded uh, Last Stand Media, which was once Colin's Last Stand. Yes. And so the first thing, the first question that I kind of want to ask, just a, a basic thing about that is how kind of this evolution prepared you for what you're doing now. And I think that's obvious in terms of the podcasting element, the analyst element of it, where we can see that growth. I'm interested how that impacted you into becoming a CEO and a leader of this, this team, this pod, this network. And how you yeah, I think I am. Um, I think I'm. I don't know that I'm a natural leader or that I take to it very naturally. Um, I think the closest to a leadership position I ever really had was like the assistant or the associate uh, or alternate captain on my hockey team when I was a kid. I had the A on my jersey. That was about as close as I ever got to central locate to, to the C suite in any organization. But um, I think that the one thing I took away from my corporate experience. GameFAQs didn't really prepare me for anything about this. Game GameFAQs was awesome, and um, it was a way for me to get into the industry. I'm very grateful for it. I don't know that it's very germane to what I do now, but uh, I think that being at IGN specifically taught me how a corporation works. IGN, when I was hired, was owned by Fox. Um, 
It was often described as a pebble or a piece of dirt under Fox's shoe. It barely knew it existed. It was like a, a rounding error. And so they basically let us do whatever we wanted, but also would come in and lay people off. And it was a very tumultuous situation uh, sometimes as numbers went up and down. I was safe. I never got laid off, but I think I survived six, five or six layoffs. So that my card was going to probably get pulled at some point just based on how much it was costing them to employ me by the end. But um, I think what I took out of that experience, IGN spun off and became independent later and then was bought by another venture capital firm. But it's just the inner workings of a middle level corporation, IGN, maybe even small corporation. I mean, IGN was 300 or 400 people. And I think the many pitfalls of running an organization like that and how how to be leaner and better. I mean, one of the questions I used to ask, and it's an honest thing, and I, I feel bad saying it, is when I would look around IGN, walk around our building in San Francisco, I'd be like, what is anyone even doing here? Like, I don't even I don't even know what half of you do. I'm actually pretty convinced none of you do anything that the people that I'm wa- wondering about. And they would slowly get peeled off. Lots of middle management, lots of bloat. And pretty impersonal, too. I think the one thing IGN made a mistake about and they tried to correct it and it was a double-edged sword for them is like letting the personalities become too big where they didn't really need IGN anymore. You don't have anyone at IGN like that anymore. Um, Everyone that was really big enough to leave IGN with the exception of maybe Damon at some point and Ryan McCaffrey maybe and maybe someone like Destin, they're all gone now. So I think what I learned was to just run a leaner. I, I saw this bloated operation in the middle of San Francisco wasting a shit ton of money and doing its thing but just it was just confusing why it was so when when we co-founded kind of funny i immediately in my mind had this idea let's do it like small gorilla style we don't need any help with the exception of just a few select people it's not about bloat or growth it's about doing good content and then making a lot of money i mean it's it's a capitalistic endeavor so i think that's what i learned people first and keep overhead down and we have we are very people focused and we have kept the overhead down. You know how happy my people are? None of them have a contract. You know? So literally all of it is verbal agreements or email agreements. Wow. And no one submits an invoice. They get paid every month. They get 1099 at the end of the year. They have any issues, they tell me and I fix them. If they need something, they get it. I just got a text right before we started saying Cog's microphone is broken. These microphones are incredibly expensive that we use. So... It's like, um, that's something we have to do, though. We have to buy Cog and Mike. So, I mean, it's just, it's things like that and just making sure everyone's taken care of. I think that that was the major thing because IGN could have kept me, but their mind wasn't even in the realm of the amount of money they would have needed to pay me. And I think that that really taught me people first. And that, that's, that's basically it. So, I mean, that's what I've kind of, that's kind of how I led this very laissez-faire operation. <laughs> that's That's super interesting, especially after... You know, I'm in my fourth year of business school, constantly talked about, you know, how you run all these specific things. And then to hear you just say, oh, yeah, we pay people and you can talk to me if you want. And there's no contracts or anything. So that's do you know, is that is that a common thing in this kind of sphere of like, I don't know. I don't know. I what's funny is, is that everyone has the option. Like I'm, whenever I hire, bring someone on. Dustin was the only one that wanted a contract at first. And then when it elapsed, we just didn't do it again. And uh, But everyone is approached saying, listen, this is how we do it. If you want it a different way, that's totally fine. I'm not mad about it. And every single person is like, no, totally. Like, whatever you want. And everyone's like, no, I'm fine. And it's the same thing when I was 
you know, I pay people by PayPal, but if they want to be paid by check or they have some other thing, it's like we, we, we accommodate them however we can. But um, it's not like, what am I trying to do? I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to keep people happy. I'm trying to keep everyone, everyone having fun, not trying to take advantage of people. Um, and I also send them bonuses and stuff that are tar- certainly, I mean, that's the other side of the contract is they're certainly not owed the, mu- the big bonuses they get either. So it's, it's just taking care of your people. That's it. That's the, that's a major lesson that I learned. Yeah, that's, man, I have this whole document written out, but I have so many questions about just this, this individual aspect. I'm, I'm curious, you, you made a comment earlier about the goal isn't, isn't growth. I'm wondering, do you think kind of this business model, like focusing on, on people and being so personal in that way, is that even compatible with larger organizations? No, uh, we are a unique business. It is capital. It is a capitalistic endeavor, but it is a different sort of capitalistic endeavor not unlike many companies specifically in the online era that don't have a physical good we don't need to be housed anywhere right we like we don't have a warehouse we don't have an opera like an ops or semantics to worry about we don't have anything logistics and so it allows us to run a business that is really reliant on hardcore audiences and courting people that watch the content for free to come in the I say growth isn't the, the isn't what we're trying like really going for. It's not like we need to grow. We just do. <laughs> we just, it just does grow. And Patreon's a little soft right now. It's probably down six or 7% from its top, but overall revenue is up. Ad revenue is really good. Merch revenue is really good. We're doing live shows. We'll have another one of those soon. Um, and then Collins Last Stand, which is the company that owns all this stuff, we own other things. So we have other revenue sources as well. Collins Last Stand owns 49% of Lilymo. Collins Last Stand is publishing the next physical game for Lilymo. So there's all these different kind of ops that we're doing as well that are smaller, that are additive. But the money keeps increasing. The revenue keeps increasing. And then we try to keep everyone happy by increasing pay, bonuses, and all of that. But the beauty is, is that we have no... There's nothing on the ledger that says, okay, before anything happens here's here's the nut as my dad would say like the here's the what you need to get by right um and we don't have that no ten thousand dollars for a space no hr department no just a few just a few logistics lawyers um accountants things like that but otherwise a really lean operation so we don't really have to grow but in fact and i don't want i'm knocking on wood we could shrink and probably be fine it's it's just we're very very um profitable let's say from that perspective yeah awesome this is really funny to hear my my class that i'll be using this interview uh for one of the main things we've talked about is growth alone is not a strategy and i'm like okay so this paper is going to write itself after hearing just the beginning of this conversation no way i think yeah it's true like i always had this this is a very this sounds like a very ignorant thing to say except for i am a successful businessman so i'm comfortable saying it is i don't think that a business needs to, needs to necessarily grow to thrive. It needs to satisfy a customer base to thrive. That's it. Whatever it is. Why does it necessarily have to grow? It doesn't even really make any sense to me, fundamentally. It's like a very mercantile way of looking at things, like a very old school economic way. Like this is a new economy. And if you can just, I don't want to say get by, but if you're just making money and you have a business of 10 people or whatever like we do, and then we make 15% less money one year, is it really... That sucks, but is it is it like a catastrophe? No. If we were on the Nasdaq, I would be fired. Everyone would be fired. We'd have this whole like this calamity, but we're not, we, we just don't operate like that. So it is a unique 
vertical of the economy, fan funding things, but also, again, just running a lean operation. I cannot believe that people in our space have built like kind of funny. My old company, one of the big things that I didn't want to do was get a space. And now they're moving into another space. And I just I'm like, man, I can't even imagine the overhead on that. What a waste. Right. Like to me, it's like that could just go into your people's pockets. So, yeah, it's um, we run a very loose operation, but it, it, it all works in the end. All right. So I know lots of people listening, uh, prob- probably vast majority of people listening know who you are, fans of yours. But for the people who aren't, I want to run down just a couple of the uh, basic facts of of what Last Stand Media is and what the company Collins Last Stand is, and then talk about kind of your role as a, as a CEO to get into some of that stuff. So for one thing, Last Stand Media, Collins Last Stand, uh, founded in April of 2017, which uh, I was I was 15 at the time. I remember whenever whenever that announcement came out. So five and a half years at the time of recording and then rebranded or the the, the podcast network rebranded to Last End Media in January of 2021. Is that correct? Yep. That's okay. right. And I have kind of listed here uh, the the main products with supporting products. So I have you have uh, your PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, and then Sacred Symbols Plus. So in total, thrice a week. Defining Duke, Defining Duke Ultimate, the Xbox podcast with Mr. Maddie Plays and Cog, and then the show you do with your brother, Knockback. And those are the main shows. And then the supporting products, I have uh, merchandise, the live shows, and then I think your your Discord, the community that you all have created, is a is a selling point. Just before we continue with, with this sort of basic stuff, do you agree with that assessment that I do think that's kind of an appeal? Oh yeah, um, the disc, but the Discord is part of the Patreon, so we don't mm-hmm. even really consider it. Uh, so we consider it a Patreon part, but certainly we have I don't even know five thousand something people in the Patreon. And I actually have no other Patreons, so I don't. Or I'm sorry, no other Discords, so I don't know. Okay. We have twelve thousand patrons. I'm sorry, five thousand people on Discord, and I'm not. I'm in no, no other Discord, so I don't know. But I've been told our Discord is very active for its size, um, which is cool. So yeah, it's a huge selling point, and I think it's for some people, the people that are most hardcore that we post there, I think is cool too. Like I'm on there, you can talk to me and hang out. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the discord is so unique. It's such a young company. It's barely older than last stand. So yeah, it's amazing that it's, um, that it's become so vital. Yeah. And then the, you all, in terms of monetization, you have your merchandise, which I think is fairly standard, although you all don't do it necessarily in a standard way, which no, I we do it in a very later. unorthodox way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, advertisements, mm-hmm. uh, from non game related companies. Yep. Uh, and then the Patreon perks, which you have like, what, a dollar, five dollar, ten dollar, twenty five. Yep, that's it. And okay. uh, most of most of our audiences, we could cut the dollar and two dollar tiers probably and not really materially affect our, our bottom line. It would affect our Patreon numbers. But um, we liked our whole thing is we want to have an easy, cheap entry point in the Patreon. You can check it out. You get the best content at the bottom, basically. And if you like it, then you can start increasing. If you're comfortable in Patreon, and you like it. It's not too much money. It's not putting you out too much. Then you climb, and so five dollars is like the is like the prime spot for everyone, and that's where most of our audience is. So a vast majority of our audience is at five dollars, and then we have like you know a few hundred people at twenty five, and it goes down from you know on from there. So yeah, we want to keep the entry open, like an almost thoughtless amount of money for mm-hmm. someone. I'm not saying five dollars is nothing, but I'm saying it's not really a big deal. Like if you I, I, I'm pretty sure almost everyone can afford that. So at least if you don't like it, you don't feel like you are out anything. And that's 
we want it to be really easy and fluid like that. Yeah. So before I get into kind of you as a as a CEO, uh, which, yeah, so I just want to talk about your team a little bit. So I have listed here uh, 10 people, eight employees with two uh, kind of consultants, analysts. Yeah. Is that a, is that a correct rundown? Yeah. I mean, I would say the only f- we have. Hmm. We have four full-time people probably, which would be me, Dustin, Ben, and Micah. We have five salaried people. It would be those four, and Maddie gets a salary too, but he is not, I would consider, an employee. And then we have, yeah, all the co-hosts. So I would say collaborate, like anything from an employee to a collaborator Okay, are are those different people, yeah. So I don't want to necessarily say they're all created equal in that sense, but um, like Rick and Tom are I'm, I'm much more on the peripheral. And re- the reason that they're even paid at all is because I just think it's insane that people talk to them and just expect to get that information for free. So, mm. um, yeah, those are the those are our our that's our cast of characters for sure. OK, so before we get into how you manage the team, can you just describe like your role as I mean, we know your role as a host listeners. We listen to you. We've we've heard you talk about the the process a little bit of making the show to some degree. But what's it like? Outside of that, what's the uh, what's the broader business terms look like here and how you kind of strategically make decisions? The next section I want to go over is the changes that, that Last Stand, Collins Last Stand has made over the past five years. But yeah, more coming. Make those? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have a MO of there's such a thing as too much. And. I don't want to demand too much of the audience's attention. The basic idea, the basic premise of our company is that give the audience one thing a day. And we have Sunday, which we don't do anything on yet. And we might do something that day. That's a kind of, kind of an option, but I never want to have more than one product a day. And this is for multiple reasons. Number one, I'm a podcast consumer. I don't consume game podcasts, but I consume a lot of sports and politics and philosophy and all that. And, just there there is sometimes too many of these people demand everything a daily show three times a week whatever i'm like this is just insanity i just can't that's why i don't mind three four five hour rogan episodes or lex friedman episodes i just don't need them every day so we try to cater to someone every day hope that the venn diagram in our in our um in our audience is sufficient enough where people are getting value out of multiple shows and then if things are not performing or we want to make a change or there's something that really needs to be done I'm, my kind of uh my instinct is to just put my shoulder into it and do it this, this was the idea of changing the name of the company or changing the name of the the podcast network when we really when i was like yeah it's time to do it well, i'm like let's just get it over with it's just the sooner the better so i really think that our organizational premise is at the is at the beginning and then we have this this sort of machine gun mentality i often say about our company we are a machine gun like we don't jam we don't need to reload or anything like that. The podcast will be delivered on time. They will be of a high quality and you can rely upon them. And those things alone set us apart from many video game podcasts, even big ones. It's a joke at this point. I read it. Sometimes people even I like that. I follow on Twitter. Can't stream today. Sorry. Something came up. Oh, podcast. No podcast this week. Sorry. I had it. It's like that, we would be out of business. That'd be insane. I'd be so mad if I was a, a consumer of one of these people. And, and so it's just that level of consistency. And as far as preparation is concerned, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of writing, a lot of research, a lot of reading, talking to people, getting emails. I get a lot of tips. Try to corroborate those. 
and try to incorporate, which is another fundamental of our company, try to incorporate the audience as much as possible with listener inquiries, which almost no one else in the industry does. I think it's a really important thing, too. It brings up new ideas and things for us to talk about, threads to pull at. So depending on the day, it can be a very different sort of situation. But that's basically like the premise in which we move forward. It's just one show a day. And if we can't fulfill a goal with that show, then we'll ultimately remove it. That happened with fireside chats. And um, we'll do it again if necessary. I just don't see any product that would that would really demand that right now. But but uh, we do have another show in the works. I mean, um, we haven't talked too much about it yet. I guess people that listen to this will learn something about it. But we, we are going to do something new. And uh, so we're getting we're, we, the names chosen and we, we are getting that off the ground um, in the coming months. So we're excited about that. And it'll incorporate everyone in the in the uh, company, which is going to be fun. So that, I'll leave that there for now. But that's the next plan. Awesome. Okay. So with that, with, uh, you know, all everyone in the company, how do you kind of manage that team? It's it's funny hearing you talk about this. And I can being a, a fan of your content for years, I, I know I can see it through what you all make. And it's interesting to me to see um, your defi- the Defining Duke show, and then you obviously host uh, Sacred Symbols and Knockback, but sometimes Dustin, Chris will have their own Sacred Symbols Plus thing. Micah will do her own thing. And everyone seems to kind of have that motif. So like, how do you, for one thing, how do you all communicate in general with each other because you are a remote company? And how do you kind of infuse that that idea throughout everyone's work? Where I'm kind of inundated with this idea of like corporate culture and building corporate culture and having this culture yeah it's not i mean i'm sure i am positive that when you employ 400 people or something like that that that's really important but you know to have like your what are your what are your cultural norms like at ign it'll be like we're we're irreverent you know it's like oh my god shut the fuck up (laughs) you know that kind of stuff i can't take and you know what are we we're bleeding edge and it's like synergistic it's like every, dude everyone's making fun of you this could have been an email no one wants to be in this meeting there there's a at least in my experience in corporate world it's just a lack of self-awareness i don't want to work for a machine like that ever again and i won't be god willing so the um wait what was the what was the first part of the question again well, how do you, how do you all communicate i know you talked right, about right, right. email that was the thing i wanted to pull at first was we communicate through discord and okay um we have like text threads going on we email sometimes but we have a we're all 10 of us or so are just on a discord channel like a secret discord channel and we just talk to each other there and um we have a calendar so micah we brought micah on who's my fiance but before she was my fiance we brought her on as my our coordinator and she keeps the schedule and so we just try to you were asking how we communicate in a in kind of a in kind of a more company-wide way and the way i try to do it best i can is to just talk to one person and then have so Dustin is basically like the consigliere of the company. And I don't, I mean, I talk to everyone when I want to, but I basically don't talk to anyone about things that need to be done. Dustin talks to them about things that need to be done. And it allows me to just communicate one thing. You want someone that understands me and then he goes and delivers the message and I'm kind of making decisions and going as, as we, as along as we are. So for instance, with the new show, which um, we've codenamed orbit, by the way, is uh, we, I came up with the idea alone. I talked to Dustin about it. He can't kind of gave me some feedback. And then I just told everyone that's what we're doing, <laughs> you know? And I said, if you want, if you don't want to do it, that's totally fine. But we hope you want to do it. Everyone bought in. 
And it allows things. So like that's kind of when you have to take the leadership position of saying like the, the decision has to someone has to make the decision. The buck stops with me. But I try to communicate through a. It's kind of like a pyramid. I'm at the top. Dustin below me, and then he'll talk to Ben, and that's taken care of. He'll talk to the host. He'll deal with Micah, and then Dustin deals with Patreon. Dustin deals with like I deal with all of the big things like our ad people. We have we're, we have agents um, for that, our accountants, our lawyers, and all that. But Dustin deals with all of our basically our um our various contracts with um different vendors and, and things of that nature and so on so that's basically how we've organized it from there but another really important part of our company is that i don't want everyone to work all the time at all in fact what i tell everyone is work as little as humanly possible um and i mean it like if, if literally you can get everything done this week in 10 hours i don't really don't care as long as it gets done in 10 hours i'm not paying you for the 10 hours i'm paying you for the work so if you can do it at a high enough quality so we yeah, I couldn't imagine anyone working for us that wasn't a self-starter. They'd probably cry because it's just they'd probably think that they'd had to prove themselves or that there's something wrong or whatever. I'm like, no, man, if the shows are good, I think people get kind of get used to that after a while of just the very uh, hands off approach that I have. And um, we've only lost one person so far along the way, which is ACG. And that was just because he didn't have time to do the show. It wasn't like we had a falling out with him or anything like that. It, just, it wasn't a cultural issue or anything. It just he had other priorities. Um, but otherwise we've kept everyone. And I think that's a good testament to us too, is that we, we've kept everyone. I guarantee you Dustin makes more money than anyone in IG, in IGN, IGN's editorial team. And that's what I think an important part of, of yeah, our company culture. Our, what's our culture is to like, feel like you want to be there. And um, the remote part of that I think is too, is important too, in the sense that I think that our shows would probably be better in person. I think that's true. Um, I think they would be better in a studio. I think they would be better in front of, you know, like where we could see each other and we had a, a production staff. And I think that would probably be true. But at what cost? And I don't mean that financially. We all have to live in the same place. So everyone has to move. No one probably wants to be in that place. They, everything changes for them. They can't go home. They can't work from home. They can't be, have their own routine or any of those kinds of things. I just think that the way we do things makes the best product per square inch based on the demands of the company. And I really do want to make a company where there's all this conversation in corporate America about what for. Um, you know, four days a week for 32 hours, four, four for 40, four tens, five eights. I'm like, how about just as little as humanly possible? And sometimes that will be 70 hours if we have like November is going to be insane because we are trying to take December off. But sometimes that will be nothing. Sometimes I need Dustin to be on the ball at eight in the morning. And sometimes I don't need Dustin for three days. I just I'm not entirely sure why I, I understand why bigger companies don't work like this, but I don't quite understand why small enterprises don't work like this, because it just seems obvious. You want the buy-in of the people working for you. They are the only important part, right? Like without them, nothing happens and we're fucked. So I think that the way we, the different permutations of the way we do things creates the best product per strain on the, on the people and makes everyone happy. And I'm certainly happier. I feel like I'm happier on the content than I used to be having to schlub my way in IGN, having to schlub my way in a kind of funny to record an hour podcast and then go home. Like Why? Why are we when when the the podcast will be five percent worse when I'm remote and I'll be ten times happier? <laughs> so what's the pay, what's the the payoff there? Anyway, I'm I'm ranting. No, I I I understand. There's a weird pushback against the the four day work week. I think uh, I, I've really never understood it because if you can provide the value, then what's the problem? Well, that's the whole thing. Is if you have a baseline, say you're in like the tchotchke business and you have a baseline of like this is the amount of people we have and this is how many tchotchkes we make and this is how much money we make. And if you can hit that barometer with people working less, then why wouldn't you? Because the argument would be, well, they can work more and we can make more money. But I'm like, that's actually like kind of antithetical to your whole goal, though, isn't it? 
can't you just do well? Or like, can it just be good? Does it have to be extraordinary and you and you eat blood from a stone and all that's a mistake, dude. It's a huge mistake. I, I don't I again, I, I, I would be flipping saying this five years ago, but I'm I'm proving it. I'm fucking proving it. So I just I think that that's the way we're going to continue to. And wouldn't that be an attractive place for people to work? Because it's it's like, well, it attracts people that maybe don't want to work, but it's self-starters. You would die in two seconds if you weren't a self-starter in a, in, in a last stand. So we would be able to carve through people quickly and figure out who is a so-called cultural fit for us. I just I don't know, man. I, I cry in my brain thinking of having to work at Facebook or something like that or Apple. And they're like, please. Please come into our one billion dollar campus that we built five years ago and have and has no purpose in the most expensive place in California. Please come in. And if I were one of those people, I'd be like, I'm just going to get a remote remote job now. Uh, the going's good right now. If you're in in the remote space, It'd be dumb to. Uh, I understand that some younger people, and I know we were talking about this on your show about Unity, that you felt like you needed to be there in order to get the full experience. And I totally get that, but I'm well beyond that point in my life now. And, um. I think people are going to have to embrace at least hybrid work moving forward. Who the fuck wants to go? Dude, I think people discovered a lot of people, a lot of white collar people, unfortunately, because it's the nature of their jobs as opposed to blue collar work tech, you know, typically, but they figured out what am I doing during the, during COVID? What am I doing? Why do I live here? Why am I in a car 10 hours a week? Where are my kids? Why am I miserable? My taxes are going up and blah, blah. blah. It's like, dude, um, employee health and happiness is like key to any foundational business. If I were, if I were at a business at a bigger middle middle and you know middle size enterprise and was looking at the current climate, I would think it would be a massive advantage to work remotely. Even if you think it would cut into the bottom line, even and 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 the same thing with letting people work less. I just think it makes them more enthusiastic to work. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Doubt it, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you take uh do you take temperature checks at all with the with the people you work with? Do you see like oh hey how do you feel about x y and z? Because uh, I know that's that is very common in in larger larger corporations though you may not be able to change anything. But um basically I do probably several times a year I email everyone individually and just say like hey is there you know anything you it's not even a temperature check it's like do you need anything you know um <clears throat> I can go. I don't want to say months, but I can I can go months probably without talking to Matt like like this. Unless we're on a show together, which we're trying to like fix in this new thing. We'll fix that even more. But um, so it's good to just kind of touch base. But I also want them to feel trusted. And so since we're such a static company where there's not a lot of products being introduced, there's no people coming in. Nothing's really changing very often. I kind of just let inertia take care of things. And um, I don't want to get in the way and deflect them in another direction like if things are going good it's cool and i just want to touch out touch base maybe once a quarter or even more than that just to say you need any equipment how's everything going how's family life anything going on in your personal life you need to worry about it, it, actually the, we talked about it on the show i don't know if you heard one dustin has this horrible hand issue and he like doesn't want to get it fixed because he's afraid he won't be able to play games and work and that's why i told it on, that's why i brought it up on the show even though i don't think he was like thrilled that i did it i was like i'm telling everyone in front i'm telling you in front of literally everybody that this is your choice and that's basically the way we run the company. I told him, like, just go. Like, we'll figure it out. Um, so I just, I think that it's important to keep touch with them and, and see how they're doing, how they feel about things. But at the same time, I feel like silence is kind of a good thing in a company of self-starters. It's not like Maddie's, we're in cubicles and Maddie's in a cubicle and never talks to anyone. 
so we like we can get some sort of personal feel for it. Um, I think people know that the the door is open and and they take advantage of it when necessary. Dustin, the, by the way, the, no one really complains. The only people that really complain are Dustin and Ben. <laughs> everyone else is uh, everyone else is good, and I appreciate it. Ben's the one that especially keep, I I always tell Ben he keeps me honest, not in like an, I'm a lying sort of way, but just ben challenges me the most and i think that that's necessary like to have not a foil in your own company but an almost like not an adversary either but like a devil's advocate like within the organization that feels respected and is part of it and he kind of serves that role how so with that with kind of communicating with your with your employees with the people you work with how do you assess how well the company is doing because i mean like you said and you've said it on the show buck stops with you so there's i'm I'm in this in this course that I'm doing, we're going over all these case studies over companies, and you can just see where things just come out of left field for some of these executives. And you have to wonder, like, what were you missing? Like, how did you not see this thing coming? So what do you do to kind of assess not just how well the company is doing? You know, you can look at easy to look at your Patreon, your revenue, whatever. Um, you know, do you do like quality assessments? Do you listen to the shows? Do you how often do you take into account listener reviews and looking at things? What's what's the uh plan there yeah so as far as listening i've almost never listened to almost one word of defining duke mostly because i don't want to hear the show i don't want the shows to be like each other i think when we started duke people assumed it was going to be like sacred symbols like an xbox sacred symbols and i was like no it's going to be a totally different thing and i don't even want to know much about it like i want to know that it's high quality that it's getting done and that people are enjoying it but the secret sauce is theirs and i think that that's really important to keep the shows distinct from each other and um, so, no, I don't I don't and I don't like listening to myself anyway, so I don't I don't go back and listen to those things. But, yeah, there are a bunch of there's a lot of telemetry to keep track of, which is important. And I also think it's important to kind of put it within the, the frame of how the industry and the overall economy are doing. I was saying earlier that Patreon's a little soft, but when you look at Patreon, everyone's soft with rare exception. Um, the economy is bad. We're in a recession, whether the government says we are or not. I was talking about this on Sacred Symbols Plus that goes live tomorrow. I think the layoffs are going to really reach a crescendo in the coming months. Unfortunately, in the economy, I just think the economy is bad. I think actually the 3.0 employment rate was actually, it's good news, but it's bad news because it means for if it means that they're, they're going to raise interest rates more and squeeze more of the inflation out of the economy, which is going to cause um, it to be more expensive to borrow money and all the rest. So, I mean, you know how it works. So I just think things are going to slow down. And so when you look at it, when you look at your company and you're saying, well, we're doing well, but but Patreon's soft this year. It's like, well, I don't know. I always tell the co- the guys at the company, actually, you're asking about this communication. I'm like, I don't think there's anything we can really do. That's kind of the thing. It's like, what do you want to do? We are a, a luxury at best. And a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, that can mean something to someone else. Certainly 10 or $25. And so I look at it sometimes and I'm like, are we hitting all the right notes? Are we doing what we need to do? If the answer is yes, which is the, which is the answer, then... Sometimes you just have to roll with it and understand that. Um, and again, this comes in with having no overhead, really, is just roll with it so that if there are down years or things kind of readjust or maybe permanently readjust, you can still thrive. And so we keep an eye on the numbers and they're important, but we don't really try to play to them. People will note, and this is a unique advantage to Sacred Symbols that we don't have for Defining Duke, that I name the Sacred Symbols episodes whatever I want. It has nothing to do with the shows. It's not even for SEO. No one will have any fucking idea how to search for it. And it's weird. But when we have Xbox, we actually name them things that people will kind of come in and find. And so we do try to make adjustments to try to get people in. But it's also a balance of ad revenues way up 
year over year, like way up. And merch, we were saying earlier, we do our merch in-house, which is incredibly unique for an operation, especially of our size. And that creates massive profit compared to doing it with a um, with an outlet and having a third party. It's a lot of money up front, but then you can have, sell everything. We, the beauty of our merch operation is we have a higher quality. We have as I don't want to say higher quality because our merch was high quality before, but we have as high quality merch that we are buying for less and selling for less and making more money on it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We could have kept prices exactly the same and really wrung it out, but we were like, no, fuck it. We we want to just make a little bit of money on this, and so. We have this different additive thing. The lion's share is still Patreon, but the lion's share used to be really Patreon. And I would say it's not quite that way anymore. We wouldn't be dead without Patreon, but um, it would have been over in like minute zero if Patreon went away. And that's no longer the case. So even though Patreon's up and down, it does it matters, but it doesn't really matter as much too. So that, kind, that adjustment has to be made in the back end too. In 2017, 18, 19, Patreon 20 Patreon was really important, really like vital. Patreon is still really important and vital, but we're finally buttressing that income stream with other things. And and so I would say it would be ad revenue and then merch and then live shows in that order apart from Patreon. Okay. Uh I don't know that we I'm I know I have it on my notes, but I don't know that I actually brought it up. The live shows are those I I know you all have discussed it on the on the show before, but as you're doing more and more of those, are you looking to make those a uh, profit-creating endeavor, or is this just a value gain thing where you're like, we're going to create, you know, not just obviously it's probably enjoyable for you all. This is part of the job, but on the on the cynical business level, that unfortunately <laughs> is what I'm is what I'm working with. Do you look at that as as more of profit growth or uh, value value development value or uh, customer loyalty sort of? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it started as the first because when we started doing live shows, it kind of funny. That was my whole thing. And they got mad at me at the time. I mean, we even said it on the show. It's like, I don't really care about making money on these. And I remember them saying, well, we want to make a profit. And I'm like, well, I think it's good to start by saying, let's break even and to do something for the fans. The reality is, is that it wasn't until we started doing our live show, specifically the last one in Richmond at the National, which is a big venue, like a real venue. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the contracts and seeing everything. And I'm like, oh, God, like, this is how bands make money. And it I knew that always. My best friend's a musician, a traveling, you know, musician and a touring musician. And I know this, but and I've been to a million shows, but I guess I just never thought of how much money they were making. And so as an example, when we rented the national, we rented the national for I think six thousand five hundred dollars for a Saturday night, which is pretty cheap. As an example, we wanted to go to Vegas, and the cheapest venue we can find in Vegas was the House of Blues for our size. That was fifteen grand. So we got this place for six thousand dollars, and we sold four hundred and twenty tickets, I think, at fifty dollars each. So we made our money back. But then I was like, "This is a three thousand person venue," and three eleven just played it, for instance, sold it out. You can do the math. I mean, now you do that. 40 times during a show plus your tour plus you're selling merch plus you're selling liquor and beer i mean it all can't became clear to me in that time just as an entrepreneur entrepreneur i was like holy mother fuck if this could be a massive thing and now i don't think about it for me i think about it the, the thing i really want to do 
that I'd really like to get off the ground is some sort of small podcast tour that could fill in a venue like that, that could have three or four people, you know, and take full advantage of the profit margin that a thing like that presents that we wouldn't necessarily benefit anymore from, but that others can come and benefit from as well. Because it, basically, it's just there for the taking. We don't get it because we're not selling those tickets, but it's there. So in looking at that, we would we wanted to do them more often. The reason we didn't have another show this year is because the Vegas thing fell through because we simply could not find a venue that made it work under this under these conditions. They were either way out of the way or – and we also have some venues that don't want to work with us, um, So, which is a problem for us as well. And so the next one, we've, we've figured that all out. We'll announce it soon. I'm not even going to say where it is, but um, they, we are going to eke a small profit out. But the profit largely comes from the merch because when we are – it wasn't so much a problem in Richmond but because I, I live here. But when we go to the next location, we're all going to have to go. So those are all plane tickets, putting everyone up, per DM, um, all of the rest, maybe rental cars, whatever, equipment. And then before you know it, you're kind of out. So it's, it's, it's a long way of saying that I think that there is major profit to be made in that space. I just don't think we're prepared to extract it. And I'm not sure if we can extract it on our own, but I am positive we can extract it with some sort of cartel of, of podcasts, you know, like, um, and that's something that I really want to actively look into in 2023. That's like one of my goals is to try to see if we can get this going, even if we were to open for someone else. Just because I wonder if some podcasts don't even know. I, some podcast, a lot of podcasts do live shows, but I think a lot of podcasts don't know. And so we are mildly profitable. I think we'll stay mildly profitable in terms of live shows. That's not really the goal. I think to your to your ask, it's it is mostly customer loyalty, touching base with the customer, doing something cool, showing that we're alive, and showing that we have not only touching base with our fans but bringing them together for each other. I mean the. It sounds lame. I met my fiance through my community. People are meeting each other and becoming friends, lifelong friends, probably some romances, etc. And you see that when you the live shows, all these people coming together, meeting each other for the first time. It's very gratifying. It's almost the we wish we could do it more often. We just can't justify it at our size just because it is so nice to see. But um, but yes, we want to do more of them. We're going to do an international show next year as well, I think. And Ben is. Part of Ben's charge is to organize all this shit. So you can exp- I, I think we would like to get a show a quarter going. I don't know if that's going to happen until 2024, but I think we will do two or three next year. So that would raise the bar a little bit, and then we'll go from there. And I, I don't know how much more we can even demand of people as well. We're not like that big. We are, we are by podcast side, we are a big podcast. By Patreon, we're huge. By YouTube standards and like kind of just the general how many fans, listeners, viewers you have, we're pretty small. But it's as I've said before, any of those people would trade anything for our Patreon. And that's and that's uh how I like it. So yeah. I'm I'm curious, you kind of brought this up throughout. I, I when I was taking my notes for this for this interview, I struggled when I came to my I had a, a subheading of just competitors. And I'm like, I don't I don't really know what to put here. And so I just kind of wanted to to throw it to you. Who do you view as your competitors? Because I, I look at a lot of these groups and I mean, obviously there are tons of gaming podcasts, but I, I feel like to some degree, it's almost like it's, it's as if there's a different market that is being targeted in some ways. Um, I don't know the the, I guess the way I'm viewing it, the product is just so different in a lot of ways. You have to be, well, let me back up. There's a podcast I love I bring up sometimes called Around the NFL. 
It's like my favorite podcast. I love it. And I think it's the closest thing you'll listen to that that's like sacred symbols in that it's ostensibly about something football and they talk extensively about football but you have to be able to be willing to deal with a lot of other things that a lot would turn a lot of people off but actually if you just are a fan make the show so much better and that's kind of the way we are so if you're like really like i want to know what's going on with playstation this week i don't know that sacred symbols is the best place for you because it's not just that you have to get through a lot and we know we could be a bigger show with a bigger audience if we just stop doing that but it makes it so much less fun and i think actually is it removes the differentiator the crudeness the silliness the over-the-topness you know slitters and slitterheads and all these little inside jokes we have the you know the sacrificing babies and and the chicken and these are things that are actually brought up by the audience that are started by the audience and the audience, it feels like it's an in-group in some way. And I think that that's part of what's fun about it. It's not very serious. We include the audience in everything we do. We admit when we're wrong. We start every show once we get into the news with the things we got wrong in the previous week. So I think that's really important too. And again, it's that consistency in all of this. My honest answer is I don't think Sacred Symbols really has a competitor. Um, I think there are other PlayStation podcasts, but Sacred Symbols is very clearly the, the the superior podcast. And I say that not only as the person that's on it, but I see the metrics and I look and I listen and I see what people say. And I, I, I believe it. You know, there's really not a lot of contention on that point. Where it gets more interesting is actually with Defining Duke, because I think Defining Duke is. No, nothing has cleared its space like Sacred Symbols has in terms of podcasts or platform specific podcasts. And I think the reason it was able to do that was because I am the person that was on all three of the biggest PlayStation podcasts that have ever existed. So that's like a, an, a built in advantage that the other shows don't have. So we're able to kind of take that with us. And they're, so they're just fewer by virtue of that. And since Beyond and PS I Love You in their day were so much bigger than the other shows, I think it kind of cleared the space over time as well. So never, no one ever really got to get off the ground. So there's something about that where Sacred Symbols is just far in the head, mostly because no one's really gotten a rap on it yet. I think someone can do it better. I just they haven't done it yet. And then Defining Duke, when we started that show, it entered a, a, it entered a an environment that I don't understand quite why, but is much more saturated with podcasts. I don't know. I haven't quite put my finger on why it is. I get why there are a million Nintendo podcasts. I don't quite understand why there are a million um, Xbox podcasts. And there are good ones. Like really good ones, and ones that I that by people I like, the Jazz Corden and the, and those kinds of guys, very good at what they do. And so when I started defining Duke, that was the first time I ever started a product where I'm like, we have to build this thing and compete and actually take an audience away from other people, or at least command that audience to listen to us as well. And they're doing a great job, especially with ACG leaving. Like I said earlier, and that really injured the show for a little while because it kind of was getting going and getting a footing, and then it had to start again and. That was an unfortunate situation. And again, I don't begrudge him. He's got to do what he's got to do. But that had a force. And I, I think it showed a lot. I think Maddie showed a lot of gusto and a lot of um, character. I think Cog has done an awesome job. And so that's the podcast that I want, that I look at as like the piece on the chessboard that I'm trying to compete with more. I think Duke has only just begun. You know, defining Duke's traffic is a fraction of Sacred Symbols traffic. And when we will, we it is growing and we are going to get it to that point and then I will be satisfied with it. And then, um, so in terms of show by show, I don't see much co competition. Knockback's the same thing. There are some retro and nostalgia podcasts, some really big ones, people, ones people love. 
but it's just me and Dagan. It's a it's a total passion project. It's even a vanity project in some way for both of us because it's it's it doesn't do particularly well. It's by far our smallest show. It's just an excuse for Dagan and I to get it all on the record, and I think we really love doing that. And so we have selfishly persevered, even though our time could probably be spent doing other things. And we're happy too because Dagan is kind of a secret weapon. We're going to really engage him on this new thing we're doing because I think that more people knockback is tough to get into because it's about everything and you have to kind of capture someone it's like an asteroid getting too close to a planet and it's it gets captured and then you're kind of in orbit and then you kind of convince someone that it's actually something they like but you got to get them with the right topic dagan though is the secret weapon that we've kept in our silo and we need to unleash more um but that podcast is just by virtue of its very nature hard to grow because it is everything and we're going to try to focus that a little bit more too in the coming year. But um, so the answer is, is like from a podcast to podcast, from, sacred symbols, I don't really look at any competition. I'm glad that Beyond and PS I Love You and those podcasts are, exist, but we're doing much better than those podcasts. And um, I don't think there's much to really say there. But yet, yeah, Duke, I think it, it, it's much more competitive there. And there's a lot of high quality content in the Xbox space. There's high quality content, by the way, in the PlayStation space, your Mystic Ryans and all those guys, but not in the podcast space. So, um, but as far as company to company is concerned, I think everyone on Patreon is our competition. And uh, now here's the thing that that I here's what I look at though, and I, I might be different than others, is that I want people to be a Patreon a patron of those other patrons, even if they're not of us, because they get into Patreon, then they understand it. And sometimes I think that's all it required is required. And then it's like, so I always said a high Patreon tide raises a hot all Patreon boats, like. People just getting in. I don't think anyone's getting in at the sake of someone else. I'm sure people move around and shift their money around. But I bet you that once someone gets in, then they're like, oh, $5 for Easy Allies, $5 for Last Stand, $5 for MinMax. I, I just think that people are comfortable doing that or moving around. So I look at both the other Patreons that are in our space as both the best advertising for our shared platform and the fiercest competition because they're the ones that are doing trying to do the closest to what we're doing we're winning right now but we probably won't always i mean new cats are going to come through we're not that's the thing i always tell people too is that I, i've really come to accept this and maybe it's acceptance that has come from being somewhat financially secure and like in you know being in a different part of my life but i don't i'm not under the the delusion that i can do this forever that's that people are going to want to listen to me talk about playstation for 50 years i just that might happen and that would be awesome and i'm going to work really hard to keep it for as long as i possibly can but i also understand we were talking about the intangibles and the things you can't control earlier that is an ultimate intangible say some new cat new cats come out and they make a fucking great playstation podcast that cuts our audience in half i mean that could happen so We'll do everything we can to stave that off, but I also know that everything is ephemeral, and so we're trying to earn it in the space and time that we're in, and that's all we can do. Um, everything else, like, is is kind of up in the air. Yeah, I think what you said about wanting people to listen and and be subscribers to other patrons. I mean, that's like the downside of the first mover strategy is you're the one who's acclimating your customer base to that environment. So if the second right. mover comes in and does it better, that you've all you've been is prep. Right. That's totally that's totally true. But and in a in a world of corporate permanence, that's essential and like vital. Right. But I just look at it thinking I'm going to try to do this for as long as possible. Maybe we'll even get bigger and grow and, and be around forever. And maybe I'll leave and 
last stand won't be most associated with me. Maybe it'll be associated with someone else. I used to dream about that with kind of funny to like get to a point where no one associates it with, with me or with Greg or whatever, but it hasn't really gotten to that point where they don't associate with, with Greg. And so I just think it's important to be honest with yourself, show a level of just general humility to know that there are just things you cannot control. And, um, the only important thing, the only way you can kind of create permutations that benefit you is to just do what you can to, to win the dice rolls that you can to strengthen yourself as much as you can and then hope for the best. Um, Cause I can't, I worked really hard to get to where I was and nothing is stopping from someone else from doing that. Like nothing. So it's just up to you. Also, uh, I wanted to note uh, regarding what you talked about with, with knockback. I find that show really interesting too. For one thing, I, I definitely agree with what you say with Dagan. But oh, the the uh, the generational impact of that show is interesting because, and I, I had a conversation with someone on the Sacred Symbols Discord about this. When you all had your Ocarina of Time episode, I'm very nostalgic for that game too, but I'm nostalgic for the 3DS version. And so there's That's like so this, there's this funny kind of melding of generational things where things that are very old to you maybe newer. Um, to, to someone younger there's kind of a weird dynamic there but absolutely this is i'm sure that's common with film especially as special editions and director's cuts and all that kind of come out yes and uh before i before i move on with more questions how much time do you have i don't want to i don't want to oh, i have to i have told three so okay um so i want to talk about you talked about adding uh defining duke so when you when you started when you started this off it was uh colin's last stand prime which was the political mm-hmm. show there was fireside chats uh both of those have have since ended and then side quest, which also also ended. Um, and then you progressively added knockback and then sacred symbols, sacred symbols plus defining Duke. I'm, I'm interested in the progression of like the decision-making behind one eliminating shows and taking things out and then adding them and figuring out niches. I remember um, on your first episode of, of sacred symbols, you talked about how, Oh, there's a niche here that we can fill really well. And so I'm curious how you search those out and how that decision making is made. Well, it's funny. There's like, that was such a complex part of my life because I had finally fulfilled this thing I had thought I had wanted to do for a long time, which is to be a political commentator, only to discover that I really hated it. And in hindsight, it looked like, well, in hindsight, it is a blessing because I would have always wondered. There is still, for instance, there is still this wonder in my mind about what if I just went to grad, grad school like I was supposed to instead of going to IGN after I graduated from Northeastern? My life would be totally different. I'm glad I didn't do that. But I do wonder about that. I'm always going to wonder what would have happened. And this I no longer have to work, wonder about in terms of getting that out of my system. But Colin's Last Stand, what the show Colin's Last Stand and the programming, yeah, that channel hasn't been updated since 2018, I think. And I think I just... For just to put a bow on it, like I just think I just hated kind of doing it in hindsight. I just it was this idea I had of being the honest commentator that would tell you like it is, like like that's a unique thing. It's really not in 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 hindsight, but you can't do it because everyone has this sort of political expectation of you to fall certain ways, and it just makes it easy to pigeonhole you, and it just made me miserable. And um. I walked away from some pretty lucrative opportunities in that field to work for other companies. And I don't know, I just didn't want to do it. So um, I didn't want Colin's last stand to just go away. So 
I started Fireside Chats while CLS was still going, and that was an interview series. And people really liked that series. That series, um, it was the idea behind it was to do a Joe Rogan style podcast, but for every every man talking to people that live normal lives that can connect with people and and have normal experiences. And it ended up being a really fun experience for me over two and a half years or however long we did it. And I think what's funny is, is that we are a remote company now, but I think that that was the one show that I needed to do in person because I think that I was part of it, at least for me. It wasn't on video, but just to see and be with the other person and be able to kind of read them, I think was really important. So as CLS, the show kind of waned and then Fireside Chats grew, we, we started Knockback in February 2018. And then that became pretty big. SideQuest began in 2017 as well. But that was just like kind of a YouTube show I was just fucking around with. And then in 2018, July 2018 is when we started Sacred Symbols. And that was the first show that really blew up and demanded more attention. And then we had Sacred Symbols Plus and so on. I think that people were, the comments were were constant. Like, come back to video games. Like, do video games again. Like, we need you back in games. And I think I acquiesced. Like, I was just like, you're right. What am I doing? I'm trying to be someone I'm not. And... Or at least I'm, I am a political person, a very political person, but I'm trying to do this thing that I'm not happy doing. It was a mistake to try to do this. And I should have just been doing games the whole time. And I always wonder about that when I left kind of funny. I would have always left kind of funny. But what if I just did Sacred Symbols the next week? I mean, it would have been huge, way bigger than it than it started out as. So I let some momentum out. Of, like I let some steam out of the, out of the pot, which was a mistake, I think. That probably was like my most... That my biggest strategic mistake, but I was able to turn it around. And like many companies, I discovered the product that the company would eventually be centered around. And that's what's so interesting about it. It happened, you know, Nintendo, of course, being a famous example, and just many other companies doing all this other shit and then suddenly d- stumbling upon the, the product. And I always wanted it, I was always, I've always been fascinated by the company Xerox because I'm sure a lot of people know, but. Xerox basically invented a bunch of things in the 70s and then was so scared that it would destroy their actual business that they just ignored them and sold them off. You know, like the laser mouse or the laser printer, the mouse, the graphical user interface, like all the... And they were like, no, we're a paper company and we, we sell printers. We can't have a graphical user interface. So they let Apple take it and all these different things and they totally shit the bed. Xerox should... My phone should be a... By right, should be a Xerox phone right now and i don't want to be that company that was like well this the answer to your to your problems or the answer to lack of growth or whatever is right in front of you but it's not what you really were intending on doing so you shouldn't do it and so that that's how it all began and we became a podcast like a gaming podcast network out of that and so duke we wanted to just get involved in because i felt like there was a space for us and i like matt a lot i met him through fireside chats actually and i liked him and i wanted to collaborate with him so we we became friends and and that was the show we pitched and the only reason we don't do a nintendo show is because i just don't think there's enough to do like it's a competitive thing but i just don't think there's much to say what are you gonna say um about nintendo they just don't release very many games it's pretty boring uh, from a coverage perspective so and it's very saturated so again additions are not natural it's just we have to find the right ways to add those shows And, and again the next show will make a lot of sense to people it's not a Nintendo podcast. And and then I think we'll put it I think we'll just put it back on the hook for now and just kind of see what happens. Just be like, okay, we'll see how growth goes and, and leave it there for a while. And again, not demand too much of the audience. Not 
not demand too much monetarily. And certainly time is currency. That's a big thing to me. I say that all the time. I say that internally and I say it on the shows. Time is currency. And if you're demanding someone's time, you have got to earn it and make sure that one on the other end of it, that they didn't regret it. Cause that would, that could injure your business just as much as them wasting their money. Can you talk a little about, a little bit about shows that I, I know you all looked into doing let's plays for a little while mm-hmm. and then eventually uh, nix that idea. What's the thought process behind like, Oh, let's, let's see about this one. Nope. Not going to work. Have you had other occurrences like that one? Yeah. Um, we were doing clips for a while and we stopped mm-hmm. doing that. What's funny is that we actually just started a clips channel and it launched it today for sacred symbols. But, um, and we're going to share that soon, but the, but that's not, I mean, people can go and subscribe to that and they will, and they'll enjoy that. But it's really to search for SEO and see if we can find new audiences. And also, some people really are put off by three, four, five-hour podcasts, which I understand. I mean, I, I'm a little confused by it personally just because when I see Lex Friedman interviewed Gotham Chess for four hours, I'm like, yes. I mean, that's, that's the way I feel. So I don't – and then when I see a Sam Harris interview come out and it's like 90 minutes long, I'm like, that's such a bummer, man. I want – that's great, but I almost feel like it's over by the time I start listening to it. So I, I can't relate and I can only make to make the um the stuff that I can relate to the most. But yeah, so I'm rambling. I'm rambling again. But yeah, no, you're you're good. I'm I'm curious about you talk about time is money. How do you how do you decide how to operate your Patreon specifically? I know you all do some things where you'll you'll release things um for free feeds. How do you use that? And you're talking about using this clips channel to uh reach new audiences how do you use those free channels to bring in people to your patreon is that is that a major thought process what do you think about when you're like okay this is going to be patreon exclusive this is not here's how we're going to change things for people who are are paying for the product yeah the weird thing is is that okay so this is this is how it all benefits is and this is i think kind of the genius the hidden genius of the way we've structured our patreon is that you would think that the dollar level you would the like I said earlier, the five dollar level is the most popular. But you think the dollar level would be the most popular because it's the cheapest and you get the most value out of it. But what's ironic about that is that that is, the Sacred Symbols Plus episodes that we put for free are kind of like the bait we put in the water to get people to sign up. This is what we have on the other side of the paywall. And since you only pay a dollar for those episodes, the people that are paying that dollar don't really feel like they're getting ripped off by one of those episodes going live every once in a while for free because. The $5 level where we actually have people and where we feel the value actually is, is you're getting it early and ad-free regardless of what happens. And that's what you're paying for. And that can never be removed, right? So so I think that there's like some hidden genius in the structure of the Patreon where it's almost – it's not deceptive. I don't want to – that's like a misnomer. But it's – the value is deceptive where like there's actually hidden value all over the place. And so the dollar – again, it's the dollar tier to just like come in, get comfortable. You want to pay a dollar a month, totally fine. But – I think you'll find much more value at $5 a month. And I think you'll find that you don't miss that $5 very much. And so, and I think you'll find that, you, you know, you're, you're getting the products that, that you've come here for. But when we have big, so we have a few rules. Every spoiler cast needs to go live for everyone. And then when we have a bigger interview, I'll always put that live at some point too. And then from there, it's just like how we feel. In fact, Dustin asks me every Tuesday in discord, what do you want to put on youtube this week and then i just go and look and sometimes it's a duke episode but most of the time it's a sacred plus episode and it goes back to this idea you were asking about kind of managing youtube as well it's just we don't want to have more than a video a day on there i don't no one understands how youtube works um 
it, they just don't. It, it, it's it's crazy how mystical it is. And I've learned that the more and more I've, I've known that for years, actually, since I was at IGN, just like how we had people at IGN that were just there just to try to game YouTube and just try to game Google and just try to figure things out. In fact, you could game Google to such a degree that if they found out that you were gaming them to that degree, that they would actually remove you from from listings on, on Google. Um, that was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when people were getting really aggressive about hiding text, you know, in white on, you know, their pages are doing shit like that, putting things in small text or putting things in empty frames and all that. And so there's this, um, there's this notion that I guess we have to just maintain the value of the Patreon, court people into the Patreon, and then kind of have some sort of symbiotic thing going on. And, um. I like the uh, the idea of courting people in there. I'm I'm curious. There's this really common idea that I hear about all the time, and I can see companies running with it of your uh, your social responsibility as a, as a corporation. And I and you all have kind of touched on it a bit in your episodes regarding uh, not talking down to your audience or X Y Z with how you treat and work with your your community. Does do you think do you have an idea in your in your head of Last Stand's social responsibility and like what does that include? How do you go about meeting that? And is it do you think it's unique to to this uh, not just this company but this kind of vertical of of podcast intangible products? I think we're unique in the sense that we don't have a political bent. Um, at least we try not to. Chris is totally diametrically opposed to most of my political views and vice versa. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even come up. I've known Chris for a while now. Chris is a good friend of mine. And um, even when we used to hang out in person all the time when I still lived in California, it, it wouldn't come up. I think the social responsibility of our company, though, there there is an, an important social responsibility. And I think it's more geopolitical in some way. The only thing that I try to do as a rule, and I don't tell anyone else to do this, and I often say on our shows that no one has to agree with me on the shows they can actively disagree with me. Duke doesn't have to bring it up or whatever is. I just think we have some responsibility to talk about China and Saudi Arabia in the confines of their interactions to with the video game industry, simply because there is a massive series of human rights violations, economic, social violations, moral violations that make our societies incompatible it has nothing to do with the color of your skin or the god you worship it has to do with the way you treat your fellow citizens for instance not putting them in cultural concentration camps um, or making it so that women have to dress in all black robes which i am positive they definitely want to do that no doubt they love that so i think we have some responsibility when a Saudi company or when the Saudi Wealth Fund buys SNK, when Tencent has a 2.5 times higher workforce of CCP members than is average in China, and they're buying everything in the, and they're whitewashing their name and doing all these things, I think that is some sort of responsibility. Not to tell people what they have to do, but to make sure they're aware of it because I fucking know that they're not being told this by anyone else. And I feel like there is some sort of responsibility there because I think that a lot of people that cover games, some of them are stupid as fuck. Some of them are so political that anything that hurts their side, in quotes, will they'll never bring up. 
end if they're not pet issues. Race, sex, gender, police, Israel, not going to come up. Right? That's why everyone was freaking out about some random thing with Israel and Palestine. No one can even tell me what it was two years ago or a year ago. And there, and and meanwhile, Saudi Arabia is destroying Yemen, fucking obliterating it back to the Stone Age, with our weapons. And no one wants to talk about that. So I think that that relevance in its intersection with gaming is something we simply have to wear on our sleeve. And if people have a problem with that, that's too bad. That's one thing that we will say. Because that, to me, is not a Democrat or Republican, right-wing, left-wing. No, it's not. We're not going to endorse a presidential candidate. <laughs> you know, We're not going to tell you to go vote for someone in the midterms. These are, not, these are matters of life and death. What's happening in Ukraine or things like that with nuclear war and the threat, like, these are greater political issues that people should be pushing towards peace and, and, and common sense. And then on a smaller scale, I think we have a social responsibility. I say this all the time. They're never going to do this. This would be the stupidest thing to do. But imagine if there was – imagine if Apple gave you the option to say like this iPhone was made in America. We have iPhones that are made in China or you can spend X amount more and buy the one that was made in Iowa. And I would love something like that. And something that we try to do is to with our merch say, well, we actually can force an option on you now and we are going to. No Chinese merch. None. And for the first time, we went overseas um, to a Southeast Asian country for our beanies just because no one was really making them in the United States as, as we wanted them. But we, under, we made sure it was fair. And um, I haven't looked at any of the factory audits or anything like that, but it's not the same situation. And I think that's a way we can be an active political participant and some sort of responsible actor is to say, well, at the very least, if you want our merch, you'll know that this merch was stitched printed, shipped from the United States. And I believe firmly in Made in America. All my appliances are made in America in my house and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, I don't, I don't want to say I don't fuck around, but I try to put my money where my mouth is. And so that, that is something that I think we try to do as well, to be there for the American worker, to try to funnel some of the unfair wages that go overseas to them. Instead, and since the big companies are not going to do that, you're never going to buy the American Apple iPhone. You're never going to buy an American PlayStation 5 or even a PlayStation 5 that was made in Taiwan. Um, so anyway, so that's the way I think we can be socially responsible. But there's a big difference between that and scolding and, and lecturing your audience. And I, I just couldn't imagine anyone listening to our, our podcast and getting that vibe. We have socialist listeners. We have communist listeners. We have transgender listeners. It's it's not a political thing. I, I think pe most people know that. The only people that don't know that are, and think that are the people that don't listen to the show. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm uh, <laughs> talking about pet. You mentioning pet issues. I've lived on a college campus for three years. I'm very familiar with the with the new sign every week. Um, as I walk to walk this to house in this house, we believe in. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> I think they just have some whiteout where they can erase the current topic and put a new one in. Get your Ukraine flags out, your gay pride flags Can't out. Forget. Yeah. Your NATO flag. Your picture of a bomb. Oh jeez. A, Hallib <laughs> a Halliburton logo. Yeah. Get it all out. Then there's stuff on the other side too that's oh my goodness. Sure, sure. certainly. Certainly. <laughs> I mean certainly. The CIA, we love them. 
Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so getting into uh, some of the the spicier topics, I guess one of the one of the questions that when I was doing my research of how to conduct this was like, oh, ask about you know whatever scandal has happened. I'm like, I don't really think Last Stand has experienced any sort of any sort of scandal in the past five years, aside from maybe just existing to some people. And even then, I think that's a small sect. So has that element of your company impacted any of your decision making or how you go through? I, I feel like in, in a lot of ways from as a viewer, I've seen you kind of just say like, like, come on, like, watch, let's en- engage in this and, and see, because I feel like it is an element of, like you said, if you're really having this huge complaint, you don't listen on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, it's why I can't take a lot of the scuttlebutt about the show seriously because it just isn't. I do. I write the show. I I host the show, so I know it very intimately, and I know what it is. So when I read some feedback about it, I'm like, you're just not even listening to the show, or you're just making things up, and I don't have time to engage with that stuff. And I real I realized you get older, and you kind of have these revelations. I have revelations to this day, deep revelations about life, existence, and all of these things, but. One of the revelations I've had is is it really doesn't matter what the naysayers think or say. You're not going to convince them otherwise. At the very most, you're going to embarrass them or prove them wrong. But they're never going to become an ally of yours. They're never going to become a fan. They're not worth focusing on. And that's why I removed myself from Twitter. That's why I did all sorts of stuff where I just don't interact anymore on that level because it didn't bring anything to us. In fact, when I did that, we just continued to grow. We reached the highest we were on Patreon like eight months after I left Twitter. So I, I knew at that point, I'm like, social media, if anything, was hurting us. It wasn't even helping us. At the very least, it was a neutral sort of thing. And um, I just think that we've managed to avoid con- – we say very controversial things, I think, sometimes. But I but I think we've managed to avoid it by saying, like, listen, this is what it is. Um, I'm not sorry for – things that you don't like i didn't say or do anything wrong i'll apologize when the time comes that i need to apologize for something i apologize to people in my my life all the time about things um but i'm not going to be bullied or pushed around and i do believe with the the common not it's like i'm almost a proto canceled person where i was like in the beginning of that whole wave and i was one of the first people to say like no i, I think i really do think it was a you kind of do i think it was uh, matt walsh that said recently not that i'm like agree with everything he says or believes but he did say something recently like you have to kind of consent to being canceled and he's right because you paying playing a certain role and being put in a box and kept there it's sad it's like why would you even want to live your life like that i just th- i don't want to say we're immune or like teflon or anything i just think people know if they come at me or come at us it's our audience certainly isn't gonna give a fuck if if i get through a show and no one in our audience is complaining you damn well know i don't care what anyone else has to say about the show you know, if 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 I if something offensive in quotes got through 50, 60, 70,000 people and then some random person on Twitter is like up in arms, like whatever, man, it's it's you kind of have to play the numbers in that regard. But I think that casting yourself as immune, even if you're not truly immune, is a good way of going forward and um, being true to yourself and not pigeonholing yourself. See, it's very easy to not get caught in any traps because. We don't make proclamations. Like, I don't make political proclamations. I don't ask anyone for anything. I don't. It's just very. When you don't. It's like the liar that has to constantly navigate the minefield of their lies. Right? Eventually, you will get trip, tripped up by just by virtue of having so many minds in the field. But we don't have to really trip over anything because 
we are who we are. We we are. I mean, I consider us commentators and critics, but also comedians and other things. And I think it is, as we said earlier, this unique sort of amalgamation that sets a different expectation. So I'm not I'm not on MSNBC. Like if I said something like I say on these shows, I would be unhirable on network television. But who the fuck wants to work on network television, first of all? And the people that actually listen and, and that's why when people are like, Colin's bigot, Colin's a racist. I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I just, I just think it wouldn't have played out like this if that was true. And so I just think the proof's in the pudding, right? And um, so I think the best defense is not actually a good offense, but a, a, a be- the best defense is just a, a middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, you talked about your, if no one in your audience has said anything, then you'll, you know that the, the random person on Twitter hasn't really listened. Has, as your, your community has grown and as I see, I, in, as you all have interacted with them more and more through the discord, but also you've always taken a listener in- increase in things. Have you ever had experiences where listeners have come to you and said something and how have you dealt with that? If so. Oh yeah. I talk to the listeners all the time. Um, I have an open DM policy, which you know, on Patreon, anyone DMs me, I answer them, anyone. And uh, sometimes that's just a, Hey, I appreciate your work. Thank you. That's the end. Sometimes it's, I'm having a problem with my RSS feed. I'm having a problem finding Discord or something like that. Answer that. That's over. Sometimes it's really appreciate your work. Have a correspondence. Go back and forth for a little while. Maybe they'll end up on the show. Maybe we talk on an email about something. Once in a blue moon, I'll have a Pater or a Kenneth Kopnick or a someone like that becomes a personal friend of mine. Like a real life, like what I would, or not, you know, like a friend offline friend kind of friend. But Every once in a while, someone encounter we encounter someone that um, doesn't like the show or whatever. And I, what I usually try to say, I usually try to explain to people why something exists. Or I try to put forth to them, and I'm sure you know this in your business classes, that we hadn't really. It's pretty uncommon for us not to think of something. And so, when something is a certain way, what I try to say to them is, "Here is why that is. It's not that I just didn't think of it." I'm, I'm, a common thing, and we brought this up in the past, are timestamps on audio podcasts. We simply cannot do it because they will be wrong because of the dynamic nature of the ads that are in our podcast. And then I will have to deal with an inundation of emails and DMs telling me that the podcast timestamps are wrong. And so instead, I'll just deal with a small fraction of those DMs of people asking me for timestamps. And that's literally what I explained to the guy. It's just like, I'm like, that's just literally the math. It's that simple. And so I think once you level with people and tell them why things are a certain way and that you have thought about it, that this is my life. I work every day. I do think deeply about it. Nine out of ten times, they're like, oh, okay, I understand. I'm sorry to bother you or thank you for your time or whatever. Once in a while, they think they know better. But it's usually like people on social media or on Reddit or whatever. That And what's so funny is like the people that do it passively, like you could DM me right now and tell me this to my face. So it's easier to do it to a small audience than to, try to be actionable with your changes, which is why I know that those people are also not serious because I not only have an open line to me, but advertise that open line and encourage people to take advantage of it and challenge anyone that has ever DM me to say that I didn't DM them back. Anyone. I'm waiting for that. No matter how uncomfortable or fucked up the DM is, I'll answer you. So I think by having, it it brings into the uniqueness of last stand, but I think it's, um, it's part and parcel with our, the personal nature of our company. And I enjoy having those correspondences because every once in a while, something comes out of it. Dustin came from one of those correspondences. Um, 
you know, a lot of guests have come from those correspondences, of course, new opportunities. I am um, a uh, consultant in the industry with a couple companies because of those correspondences. So it's important to keep that open line. Like, that's why I find it so confusing when people ignore that stuff or don't answer them. I'm like, you were probably missing some some real goal. Not only is it good for your customer service and for your retention to pay attention to your customers and to get a, a message from the CEO of the company, but in the, in the reverse, you're just ignoring these people and they're just going to disappear. At least they know that I'm, I'm reachable and that I mean what I say. But I think we've managed to um to create that sort of environment and I think it's unique and interesting. I also try to answer every, and I do answer every comment on every post on um on this on, uh, on Patreon as well. So yeah, it's just trying to remain open and and honest with the audience is good. And then you engage with the the critics as best you can. But I've I've just come to realize that the critics don't really mean very much. They really don't. I know it's easy, like you want to be dismissive, you want to put them away and hurt them or whatever. But it's not really that. It's just they obviously have no bearing on it. It's like all the people telling me that I was going to fail or that this wasn't going to work. It's like, well, obviously you were wrong, right? And so you were wrong. Like you should, I shouldn't listen to you. Why am I listening to you? You don't know what you're talking about. I did it, you know? And so I think that it's, it's important to listen pretty exclusively to the audience, but um, to frame that listening around a set of rules as to understanding why things are, you don't want to just change things for no reason. But I will say this, once in a while, someone messages us and, and they're totally right about something that's fucked up or wrong and we change it. I think the last time was people challenging us on the length of sacred symbols. And I'm like, I don't see where we can cut any more time. And then I was like, you know what? I do. And I did. I cut off the whole naming off every game that was announced thing, which is like five minutes, but it's something. So people are are sometimes right. And by the way, our audience are the first to alert us if there's like an error in the audio something missing all that I'm, I'm, I'm in the comments deep that first day and then if we get through that first day then we're golden yeah i'm i'm very interested and i know we're, we're running low on time so i'll i'll get right to it you talked earlier about uh colin's last stand being this this umbrella company um under which last stand falls and under which you all own i believe 49 percent of lilymo right lilymo games so i'm i'm curious about how you go about uh diversifying and expanding in in some of my classes i think people don't really realize that when a company owns another company the point isn't necessarily to make money under that company it is to make sure that the money you're making under that company is optimal under your umbrella um and is enhanced through your umbrella and so i'm curious i think it's pretty obvious with lilymo and i think there's I've gained, I've, I've heard hints of, of something that I don't know that you all have officially announced uh, that I think will be, that I've guessed will be happening or something will, will be going on with it. So I'm curious how you, how you go about going under these, these new ventures and how you look at, at that process. Because I remember when you, when you uh, started working with Lily Mo, it was a, a big deal and you all released uh, Twin Breaker, which was a whole nother level of collaboration. And so can you can you talk a little bit about a little bit about that? Sorry, I'm rambling at this point. No, it's all good. Twin Breaker. I love Twin Breaker. We we definitely want to get back to Twin Breaker at some point. But uh cuz that was a that was a fun one. But yeah, so Lilymo kind of just fell in my lap like the opportunity did. I always wanted to make games, but that that opportunity fell in my lap. And it's as you said, <laughs> it's why I make fun of people like why it's so strange to me why people don't create LLCs or S corporations and just work as the sole proprietor of those things and then make your money through that. I mean, 
and then pay yourself a salary and all these things. Like people don't think about the proper way to structure things for their money to work best for them, for their investments to be safe, for them to limit their liability and all those different things. And I thought deeply about that. And I, I, by the way, I've, I've said this before, but my best advice if you're getting started is you got to get a lawyer. Like you have to. Don't use LegalZoom. Don't do things yourself. Like get a lawyer and pay for it to make sure it's done. Get your trademarks, get your corporation things, get your, your, um, your number with the, with the uh, social security. I'm sorry, with, your, uh, with the IRS and all the rest. Your TIN as it's called, which is an SSN for companies. And you have to do all, like, get, make sure that's all professionally done so your foundation is as solid and as rock solid as possible. Um, but what was, I'm sorry, what was the question again? I got carried away. So uh, there's this kind of this idea that as a... Oh, right, right, right. I totally remember now. Yeah. So, um, so when I got my first consultancies, I, I actually signed those contracts through L- the LLC as well. And... We want to I it's really only me. I own all of it, but it's it, I want to grow in natural ways and I did want to get and I talked about it. I wanted to get like a book imprint going, a strategy guide imprint going. It's just too hard. I actually walked away from an opportunity I had a couple of weeks ago f- officially because I just I'm like That was total, what I was thinking by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally stranded. I'm just I am really I was I'm not like wasn't having a nervous breakdown or whatever, but the last few weeks until recently I was just really like, man, I am frazzled right now. I just have so many things going on, so many things in the air. And so I walked away from that just for my own health. But it's going to be on my mind until I do it at some point. And I want to – I don't know. I have this this need to fill gaps. Like there's this entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know where it came from to just um, to see what's out there and, and kind of challenge yourself. But I also think it comes from – the honest truth is is that the safety of having money – and a solid company and kind of a backing to take risks it's not so scary anymore when i left ign for kind of funny that was scary you know and when i left kind of funny to do this that was scary but it's not scary anymore so finding the different ways that we can maybe grow and invest and create something new i think will come naturally i i think about a game being you know i I was so happy to see donkey do his video game publishing thing because i thought about that as well and I think that's a great place for creators to be because I think it's a great place to invest. I don't, I don't want to say this. Don't take investment advice from me. But it's a good place to think about investing some money if you have money. It, think about it. Why did Lilymo want to work with me? Or why did Barry find me? Well, it's because he, wants to, he likes me and he wants, to, you know, he wants me to write and all that. But I come packing embedded marketing for every one of our games. Right? Like I have a captive audience. No matter what, we have a baseline of people that will buy. And when I think about what Donkey's doing, I think of the same thing. I'm like, well, except for it's extraordinarily high. He can do a fucking Let's Play. He can proliferate that game to all of his friends. It's a no-brainer. And so I think about that sort of thing as well, is like trying to find a small fund to... Like sometimes I see these games on Kickstarter, and I'm like, this game looks awesome. And all they're asking for is 50 grand. And the only reason that I don't like find one of those and try to invest in one of those is that I just don't think you can do it for 50 grand. But the point is, is that People aren't asking for very much either. And so I think there's more ways to continue to raise the tide. And I have a real passion for indie games. I have a real passion for pixel art and proper 2D games. And to get a 2D, like a publisher, we only do 2D games. I mean, God, that would be a dream, but I just don't have the time to do it. So it might be time soon to trust someone else and bring someone else in to start managing some things for us. And, uh, 
I don't know. And then maybe I'll be able to 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 get into these other endeavors because they're always on my mind. But that that is though. And, and honestly, I have to be honest. I I I want to do these other things too to make sure that my people are taken care of. That if, dude, it's it's paranoia inducing to have people employed by you. To have people rely on you, it is power that every word you say, everything you tweet, like it could ruin everything. Not only for you, who's fine. I mean, I wouldn't want to lose it, but it's like I'd live. But for people that don't have it as good, and so I want to make sure that we have revenue streams where if something goes down, we can still take care of everyone with something else. It's kind of the idea of the live shows and diversifying with merch and doing all the other stuff as well. So it's all in that spirit of taking care of ours and not growing too quickly. Like, I don't, I don't want more people. We don't need more. We, you know, we have the one person maybe list, missing from your list in some way is Lockmore, who is like kind of our freelance mm-hmm. editor and he does a lot of our stuff. But we, when you include him, we are definitely taken care of. Like, we don't need more people that I feel bad because a lot of people message us, how can I work for you? What do you need? Knowing that that's how Dustin got his job. And I'm like, it, I'm sorry to say that was kind of like a very lucky situation for Dustin. And very lucky for me, by the way, too. So we got to just be stayed and careful so that when the next thing comes, we can be prepared financially and logistically to do it. All right. Man, this has been awesome. I know we're we're approaching three. So I, I think I I have a few more questions here listed, but I... I we I can go over. It's, it's totally fine. I just, I need to, not too far after though, because I, I have to work out before we go to dinner. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask two questions then. I'm curious what you think about when you, when you talk about growing, adding these new shows um, and preparing uh, your people, what are your biggest kind of growth points where you think like, here are things that I need to be improving. I think it's really obvious what last stand does really, really well and how you all differentiate yourself from the you know competition. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what you look at and think like, here's what I need to be doing. Or is it just a thing of like, this is working consistency, consistency, consistency. Yeah. The machine gun is, is central to it, but I do get concerned about some things. A major concern I have is platform agnosticism as far as not in our sphere, but as far as the way people consume. And we have a presence on podcast services, which is, is in itself that RSS is agnostic and goes to everyone, even proprietary, like Spotify, like everything is good there. And we're on YouTube. But that's it. And I read a story, I want to say it was in the New York Times a month or two ago, where they were saying, I think the second biggest search engine in the world now is TikTok. And that people ser- people between the ages of like 10 and 25 search TikTok more than Google. For things this is somewhat i've talked to people it blows my mind i don't get it but yeah. and i just see stuff like that and i'm like so we can we can remain the country diner that has a real hardcore clientele and it's going to exist and everyone knows your name and it's all fucking good but if we do have ambition to get bigger and maintain our dominance especially in the playstation podcasting sphere we need to start thinking about where else we need to go and i hate that my only hard and fast rule is we won't go on tiktok like and and like it, i just can't do it not because of what it is but because of who owns it and it's just it's totally anathema to everything we preach so we just can't do that but can we be active on western platforms like facebook and instagram 
same company more? Can we leverage Twitter more? See, the things that I've learned in the past and why I think social media managing is really not an important job um, at the end of the day is you don't – it's good for putting out fires, for managing questions and all of that. But it doesn't – I mean, in my experience, it Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff doesn't drive any traffic. And it, it doesn't it, – it, for anyone I've ever met, you would put something on IGN, even if it gets thousands of retweets. What does Twitter start asking you to do now when you retweet something? You Do you want to read it first? Because it's so common for people to retweet things and not even read them just based on the headline or what they're trying to get forward. And But I see that and that 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 tells me not to give up. That tells me that you need to – cater better to the platform's demands and i think the big nut for us to crack is facebook when i see so i'm obviously a more conservative person but in conservative media can I, you see this conservative media dominates facebook apparently um and they've totally figured it out and they run endemic video they have their podcasts living there they do some writing a lot of correspondence I think that's a good place for us to be, not from a conservative point of view, but just to say that different unusual stuff that might not be big in the mainstream actually do well on these different platforms. And I, I think that that's our vector towards growth. It's, I think we've done much of what we can on podcast services. That's just kind of inertia. And then um, YouTube just op- – the a big thing with YouTube is we're going to open no more channels, I think. Not because we want people to subscribe to all these things, but we've realized it's probably important to keep this stuff apart. So like the Sacred Symbols the Sacred Symbols Clips channel is just Sacred Symbols Clips. If we do a Defining Duke Clips channel, that will be a Defining Duke's Clips channel. Um, maybe one day we do a knockback channel, but that's going to reduce our footprint on the main channel so that the main channel algorithmically knows what we want it to actually push you and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of these, and this is what we were saying earlier, it's like kind of doing the math with half the equation miss, missing. Like, I don't really know. So those are the things I worry about is just is you see something like rumble going public and I'm like, should we go there? I mean, is that YouTube looked a lot like rumble 15 years ago? I mean, is, is are we stupid? But then you do it and it's like, well, you get like 50 views. Is it really worth it? But are, are, if you're there and you keep doing it, will you win? You know, I don't, I don't know, man. It, it's a lot. So yeah, it's first things first. If we're not getting done what we need to get done, that's all that matters. And then once that's done, yes, we can worry about everything else. And uh, I think that's just the I'm a very conservative person and I don't mean that politically. I play chess very conservatively. I play role playing games very conservatively. Um, if I watch football, you know, I watch football every weekend. I'm always like, kick the field goal. Just take the points. You know, what are you doing? And that's kind of how I run my business. It's just uh, I'll just take the points and we'll just see what happens. You know, I don't need to like force anything. An opening will occur and you can take advantage of it at that point. My final question that I want to ask is to some degree a more personal one, but I think could also uh, be helpful for a lot of people listening for from someone like you, who's been very successful in this, in this business aspect, not, I mean, the media being a whole thing, but also just the business of, of working in games. How do you recommend from working with a bunch of self-starters, people like me who are now coming into a very new environment uh, where self-starting kind of is the thing you know there's old media and new media what's your uh it's a very broad question so i'll let you take it where you want what's your recommendation for new people coming in looking to self-start not necessarily just in oh i want to make a podcast or i want to make a youtube channel but for people saying like like barry who are i'm gonna 
you know, make indie games or I'm going to be in, I'm going to start this, this publisher if you're donkey or something. What's your, uh, like I said, what's your recommendation for how to, how to do that? You've, I mean, you work with self-starters all around you, very successful ones. So what's the pattern? Yeah, it's, um, I think a lot about Cog, especially because he's the only one of us that has a real job and still, and I don't know why or how he, well, I know why, because he, you know, it's, it's money and you need that, but I don't know how he does it, especially because he's like, so, he has such a gym regimen and he's very disciplined and he always seems very current and he's always alive and happy. And I think a lot about him for like my inspiration of, um, of like how to comport yourself. But in reality, I think it's important for people to not be afraid of hard work. I'm really scared of this idea that I think is percolating where it's like, well, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, these people are going to take advantage of you. Don't give yourself to a company. Don't ruin your twenties. Don't, you know, it's, I hate to say this, but a lot of that stuff comes from people, losers, like, you know, who else is, why would anyone say that to you? Right. Do is do the bare minimum. Don't don't strive to do anything. Like with my company, I feel like everyone has earned their place for me to say, let's try to be responsible with our time, do the best work we can do, and work as little as possible. But it's something we all earned. No one just walked in and got that perk. Everyone went through a, their own gauntlet and fire in their own lives or in their own content to prove that they could do it. And that's the one thing that I really fear. Is not the idea of responsible work, not the idea of saying life-work balance is important to work to live, all of those kinds of things. I don't disagree, but I worry when people have this very jaded, negative outlook from the very beginning about what they can in- in- do in the corporate world and how they can achieve, and it sets a bad cadence for that person to become th- – that's become more likely to become a loser, right? Like it's okay to not work – all your life. It's okay to not strive to do things. It's okay to to do X, Y, or Z, but don't discourage other people from wanting to live their lives if that means that that's what they want to do. Holding someone back is loser mentality. Don't don't be a don't be don't have that mentality. I really believe that. And I mean that with like a big L. Like not a loser like we well, are not popular. It's like what are you doing? Why would you want to, even if you wanted to live a life doing the bare minimum, what does it matter to you if someone else wants to strive to do more than the bare minimum? And so I personally think that the, like you see people getting beat up on Twitter for this advice and all this. But I do think the advice of like, dude, leaving it all on the field in your 20s, I think that's great advice, personally. Like, I think you, that's the best time to set yourself up. Like, work really hard, meet the right people, do the right thing. And, um, it's all about that math equation that I always talk about where the only thing you can do is alter the numbers such that by percentage, the outcome will benefit you or it'll be more likely to benefit you. And one of the big components of that is hard work, toil, sweat, blood, tears, belief, momentum. You know, like complacency is the enemy of progress. And I was telling the guys recently, dude, I'll, I'll be honest with you right now. I was, I, was, I was telling Dustin not two weeks ago. I'm like, dude, I feel really lazy lately. Like we haven't done anything. I'm just doing what we need to do. I feel like I need to do more. And we were, and I was like, but you know what? Like that's the sign that things are just working, that the machine is functioning. It's okay. 
but you have to earn that that's that place you can't just you can't start your life with a chip on your shoulder i guess is what i'm saying don't become like that it it's so bad like young people that prove their worth to older people they're not being taken advantage of or at least they're usually not being taken advantage of they're being ingratiated into a system that can benefit them like it benefited the person before and i'm so glad that i hooked my myself onto people at ign that were the winners of the guys that worked and i just was able to gleam a lot of good information from them so it might sound harsh but it's true it's like don't be don't cast yourself aside or think that you can't do things or think that you're first of all you're not owed anything and you have so earn it and i i think it's being young like you're 21 right that's exciting it's scary but that's exciting you have so many different options and while it might not work out in what you wanted to do you you know what's necessary to make that math equation as beneficial to you as possible and then all of the intangibles come in luck and timing are the intangibles by the way in case people are curious they're always the time they're, luck and timing are always the intangibles and you can't control them so everything else you can control and i th- i encourage people to do that and then maybe you can create a business that creates a healthy working environment for its employees and sets a different trend that will trickle down over the generations to a, a different norm. But we are not in that European norm in the United States. Not yet. And I don't I think it's our, our advantage. So don't let people tell you that hard work doesn't matter or that um that you're owed anything or that you if there's someone lazy around you, take advantage of that. Make a comparison. You know, not you actively, just make a comparison with your work. It's. I hope that the, the the competitive people out there and the talented people out there that can do it are paying close attention and and um and not paying attention because you were saying it, it, it's all about we're talking specifically about our industry. Don't listen to the losers in this industry. Like they're washing out. You can see it before your very eyes, and they're not washing out necessarily because they're not talented. Some of them are, and some of them aren't. They're washing out because they don't have the proper um. The proper stance in terms of of hard work, of toil, of earning something and doing something, and I don't know where this mentality came from, but it's it's going to hurt a lot of people, and I don't want the naive amongst us to think that it's going to work for them. Sometimes people fail up; that's often talked about, but not not as much as you think. You know, it really I mean it it really doesn't happen that way. People that fail up aced the the timing. And, uh, you know, the permutational stuff, right? The, and the luck. They nailed that. But that's something yep. you can't control, so you can't co- count on that. You can only count on yourself. Yeah, it's it's good advice. I remember uh, a year ago when I was interning at an indie developer for free, I had a few people telling me, like, you're wasting your time. You shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you know, you know your worth. Go somewhere and, and get paid. And it's like, no, I I know that this is where... I need to spend my time. And the next summer I got an internship at unity and I, I know it was because of that internship. So I think about some of those people and connect that. Totally. And, um, and, and it's like, yeah, know your worth. It's like, well, when I was an intern at IGN, my worth was sleeping on a floor and uh, writing previews. I had no worth. I have human yeah. worth. I have fundamental worth as a being. I'm, no one's denying that, but I have no worth on the market. What worth? You know, I have to, I had to prove it. I, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I people are expecting. Someone, 
I asked someone once, uh, like, do I do I improve my strengths or do I kind of short my weaknesses? And he said, you're 21. You don't have strengths. I was like, you know, that's not a bad point. I don't I don't begrudge you for that one. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that advice. I, I try to try to keep that in mind. And like this past weekend, I was up 11 p.m. working on something, I had to get up for church at 8 a.m. the next morning. And there's like a ball game going on. It's like I, I know that this has got to mean something someday. Um. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, it's. Dude, people strike out like it's not bulletproof advice to say, like, leave it all on the field and it's going to you're going to fucking win the Super Bowl. Obviously not. I mean, part of playing the game is losing. That's a I mean, it's. I don't know if people think about that sometimes, like if you're playing the game, there's a win condition and a losing condition. There's actually a bunch of win conditions and a bunch of loss conditions. And it's it, don't enter the arena then. It's OK. I tell people this all the time, dude, like. I think it's totally fine to go get a job, to work, to just put in the bare minimum, to do whatever you want. I don't care. I don't care. Live your life. Do what you want to do. But if you want to be an entrepreneur or create something that's worthwhile or do something on your own, you can't do that. Like that, that just can't, it just can't be. And so know what you want and know who you are. And, and there's not one person's not better than the other person. One lifestyle is not better than the other lifestyle. I'm really quite fond of the way Europeans, for instance, do things in their life-work balance, but that comes at a cost. That comes at a literal cost to their GDP. It comes at a literal cost to their their standard of living. You know, Josh Barrow, this guy I listen to, this political guy, always talks about how we kind of low-key don't talk about how the standard of living in Europe is fairly low compared to the United States, just in terms of your household things, just in terms of your income level and all that. And so maybe that there is some sort of positive to our workishness as well that is lost in the cards. It's like, what is more important to you? And to me, I don't really need time off. I, I'm happy to not have too much time off. I don't know what the fuck I would do. <laughs> so I th- I just, there's so many, dude, there's so many smart people out there. I'm sure you know so many of them. They just need the right guidance. And I fear for some of these, um, these like industry gurus that sound like complete idiots. I won't even, I won't say any names, but just people, it's like, man, you don't know, don't listen to this person, but they'll figure that out on their own, I guess. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me. Um, everyone, I'm sure the, the people who are going to be listening to this at least immediately are your your fans and your listeners, but patreon.com slash Media, all the YouTube podcast services, everything. Check them out. No one, no one's listening to me who doesn't listen to you. So, Well, maybe um, they will. I mean, you got to start somewhere. It's what I always say uh, with Micah's like starting to get her YouTube stuff going again. And she's getting decent traffic, but it's like the only way you really know is to like return and then return and then return and then return and just see like putting yourself out there and re- getting rejected is like so difficult. That's why I don't do it personally. Cause I've done it professionally so much that I don't think I have it in me to do it personally anymore. But so you start somewhere and it's all good. I mean, and take advantage of the different situations as they're presented to you so that you can raise your own profile. There's not, there's no shame in that dude without, Without the Chris Carls and the Mark Ryan Salis and the Per Schneiders, I'd be fucking doing something totally different. I think it's great. You know, you gotta, it's about that generational build. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you everyone for, for listening. This has been a ton of fun. Bye.